A disclaimer before we start. This episode of Cinema Rex on Merjui's The Cow was scheduled to be recorded later this year, but we felt compelled to bump it up due to the shocking, devastating, and horrific murder of Darius Merjui and his wife, Vahideh Mohamedifa. The Iranian film world and Iranian community as a whole is grieving the senseless loss of these two individuals who had their lives taken from them on October 14, 2023, just six days before the recording of this episode. It's a tragic assault that the Iranian world has unfortunately become all too familiar with, and although we can make estimations as to the source of the attacks, the truth is that at the time of this recording, details are sparse. While discussing Merjui's career, life, and legacy, we will touch on the details that are known to us as of the date this was recorded. Listener discretion is advised. With that, we take a moment of silence in memory of Vahide Mohamedifar and Daryush Merjui. Rest in peace. You're listening to Cinema Rex. It's an Iranian film podcast. Episode 4, Dariush Merjui's The Cow. And then they picked it back up after Safavia because they were like, oh, we're going to be Shia now to not let other people rule over us. And then the Mongols, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And then Mongols came and then so it's, it's honestly, it's a miracle that we still speak for <clears throat> Thanks to Ferdosi. Yeah. Ferdosi, big ups. Yeah. My man. Yeah. Shout out to Ferdosi. All right. I'm starting. Durubashoma Dustana Aziz. This is the Cinerex podcast where we discuss all things Iranian films. Good morning, Farhan. How are you? I'm good. How Farhan, are you? You're you're on the podcast right now. How are you doing? I'm good. I thought Welcome you were still talking. I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I'm a polite individual. What can I say? We're gonna do our best to keep this light, but as you are well aware, this is a very important and somber episode of Cinerex, one that we've bumped up ahead of schedule due to recent events in the news that I'm sure we're going to get to. But today we are discussing the film. Gov. Also known as The Cow, which was directed by the master, Daryush Mehrjui. And I am pleased to introduce our guest. His name is Mehrtash Mohit. Uh, Mehrtash Mohit is an independent Iranian-Canadian filmmaker based in Toronto. He completed his bachelor's degree in material engineering in Iran, which is very impressive. He made his Iranian parents very proud. He moved to Canada in 2011 to pursue his passion in filmmaking with a background in documentaries and short films. He completed his MFA in film production at York University. Meritage's directing and credits include the films Trees Between Us, More Vivid Than Sculpture, Fariba, screened at many festivals, including Images International Film Festivals in Toronto, International Documentary Festival, and Retributive Minds, winner of Best Foreign Language Film at NYC Shorts, and nominated for Golden Sheaf. Wow, the Golden Sheaf Award at Yorkton Film Festival in three categories, including Best Directing and Screened in many more. And of course, The Shave, produced by the Canadian Film Center, which we are a recent graduate of, the Director's Lab. And it's where we met. Meritash is a good friend of mine and a close collaborator. We were working on a few film projects together, and I will 
gladly say that nobody knows more about Iranian cinema than he, in terms of the people I know. Now, Meritash will claim that he knows hundreds of other people who know more about Iranian cinema, but honestly, this guy is like got a Scorsese-esque mind palace for Iranian films. So I think it's very good to have him here, and I'm very happy to have him for this very important episode of Cinema Rex. Meritash, welcome to the Cinema Rex podcast. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. Thank you so much. This is going to be very fun. And I'm not going to let you meet any other people uh, that I know. So I'll be the person who knows the most films, Iranian films around your yeah. circle. I find it very difficult to um, think of even how someone could know more films than you, because I haven't yet mentioned a movie that you don't know. I mean, you've you've done a deep dive on films all across the gamut in terms of art house films, commercial films, film Farsi like, you yeah. know your stuff. Yeah. Why? Tell uh, me. Well, I think part of it is growing up in Iran because there's not much else you could watch, really. It's like you watch a lot of Iranian films and you hear about the films that my parents watched. So you go and watch them. And there was a certain point that in, we had satellite TV and there were Persian channels and they would show like old Iranian films, even film Farsis, like all of them. And then later on, when I actually was really getting into no films i went out and you know tried to watch all the old films uh yeah i think it's just mostly growing up there and not having access to everything later on obviously there was illegal dvds that came out that you could watch everything and just like go mm. give a name of a film and then find it and i had a lot of hipster friends i think who were really saying coming back and it's like have you seen this film and then like you had to go watch it um it was <laughs> You know, so I think that also attributed to it. I just imagine like a hipster bully stopping you on your way to school. They're like, have you seen this movie? Like, yeah, no. have you They're like, go back and watch. You're not allowed to cross this bridge unless you watch this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you had to give a synopsis at the, at the beginning of the bridge. It was like, what is it? <laughs> so growing up in Iran, in post-Islamic Revolution Iran specifically, how was the process before DVDs made it easier? What was the process of seeing movies? I mean, obviously you'd go to local theaters, but what was that the only method? Like, I guess you'd be only would you were you relegated to only seeing the films that were sanctioned under the Islamic Republic? Or well, theater in if you wanted to watch something in theater, yes, you had to. Obviously, there was not much playing, and I grew up in a in suburban Tehran, this small town near Tehran, so. Mm -hmm. We had only one theater that you could only go watch in, in the city. And then otherwise you had to go to, to Tehran, which we did quite often. But uh, if you wanted to watch films that were not playing on theater, yes. So it was back when I was very young, you had to smuggle VHS. Uh, wow. Yeah, you guys, uh, there was also at a time like every no ruse, the, there was a VHS of like, tell you how it was. There was a VHS of new songs of the the singers who fl fled Iran. They would they would put out albums and they come out and everyone smuggled the VHS and like we would all gather together. No ruse. What the tradition was to watch to watch those music videos. So it was kind of similar with movies. Uh, you had to find VHS. Those rentals you could go, but there were always sanctions by Iran. Uh, later on, we we were one of the first who thanks to my dad, got a satellite TV, which was extremely illegal at a time. And we got one that was like very big. So I remember when I was back, walking back from school, you could see the, because they'll also tell you to not 
tell it at school that you have satellite TV, right? Mm-hmm, so it's a mm-hmm. it's a whole different discussion of why and how like how terrible the generation who came out and lied every day to their school because they would ask us even at school it's like, hey, do you guys have, you know, does your parent have alcohol, satellite TV, or VHS or like whatever? <laughs> so that's that sounds like a perfect that sounds like a perfect Friday night for me. Alcohol, satellite yeah. TV, and VHS. <laughs> that's, that's, right? that's, yeah. the that's, name. that's awesome. I feel like that's the name of like an Iranian period piece set in the early two thousands. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally. Uh, so anyway, it was satellite TV, uh, VHS, the smuggling VHS, and later on it was DVDs. That was still till the day I left. It was still, if you wanted to go, you would go to a video store, and if you knew the guy, you were like, "Yo, give me the good stuff," and then he would go back <laughs> under to another store, grab this big duffel bag, and come out and like put the DVDs on the front. It was like, "This is the new ones that I have," and you could actually give him a name of a film you wanted. And he would go and like find it and bring it for you. It's quite. A- What's crazy about that is that like, like smuggling a VHS is no easy task. It's, it's not. probably a lot easier to smuggle DVDs, but like smuggling a, a brick of a VHS. Well, and it's not and just it's one. Heavy, They're probably yeah, smuggling like, like multiple hundreds. at a time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like uh, it's heavy and it's boxy, and you can't. It's like tough. You so need like you need a massive trench coat. Also, imagine. The VHS player itself was also illegal. Yeah, smuggle. Right? Oh, so you it had was? to smuggle. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, was there anything, was it harder at the time? And I'm again, pre DVD, was it more difficult to find um, Hollywood American films than compared to Iranian films that were censored or banned? Like, what was the harder one to find? Iranian films that were Farsi language but banned by the government or. You wouldn't Hollywood actually, films. you wouldn't actually, they, they weren't films that were banned, but they wouldn't come out. You wouldn't be able right. to see them because they wouldn't really, they, it would, like right now, they, if they ban something, some people just leak it online or whatever, but it wasn't that easy to find them. So you wouldn't see, you would hear about a film that was banned, but you would not be able to watch it at until after a few years after. Because they were mm-hmm. also trying to get the the permit to show it, so that's why they wouldn't leak it. So they were still hopeful mm-hmm. that they might. So mostly right, okay. it was Hollywood films, yeah, or foreign films. Uh, you know, if you, you know, the big films. I remember uh, action films were a thing, because you know I had an uncle who was who really liked Steven Seagal at a time, yeah. and he would yeah they smuggle those and he would just get together, but. The nice thing about it was it was an event, right? Because it was yeah. somebody had a film, so you would go and sit together and and watch it. That's cool. And yeah, it was it was quite fun. And like a whole family would get together and watch it. And yeah, and the awkward moments when if there was like a if there was like a sex scene in a movie, so they had <laughs> yeah, to change. The, yeah, they, the whole family. They had to change the channel. They were like, "Oops, sorry, there are yeah, kids here." Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. Do you, uh, when did you first discover Darius Mashjui? Ooh, uh, well, I don't even remember because you knew about him. But yeah, the first film of him that I watched was Layla, which I found mm. amazing and fascinating. Mm. And after that, he was, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it. After that, he was Hamoon, which is another, it's, it was, it's an insane film. Hamoon is, these are the films that are like cultural phenomena and cultural names. So you, you mm-hmm. have, so I remember when Shaki Bai died, people were talking about, oh, 
the Harmon uh, of Iranian cinema has died. Like they knew him because of that film. And Harmon was such a big cultural impact. And especially among like the intellectuals or like the, the ones who were like, you know, like Iranians really like to call themselves uh, intellectuals <laughs> when, when they, they they're, they're watch. Uh, anyway, no, and it's that's it's, why, that's why about, they did the revolution. <laughs> it's about everything, Mertaj. It's not just about things like that. It's we're experts on washing dishes, on how to sort your laundry, <laughs> on how yeah. to like make friends. Like it's always no, no. Let me tell you how to. Yeah, do this. exactly. Yeah, the cow was also. I have another story of like how they showed us the cow at school. It was the only movie that they showed us uh, in 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 our school in high school. The or literature teacher showed us that movie because we were studying. Um, you would you would study the the contemporary uh, you know writers and stuff. And Qolam Hosseini Saidi, who's this movie is based on one of his stories. We we were studying his work, and uh, he showed the film that was based on that book. So that was the second time I was watching The Cow, and which was quite surprising to show you know, a pre-revolution film in, in Iran at a, at a, at a high school, like, like high, religious high school. I don't know if the principal knew about it or well, not, but yeah. I'll get, we'll get to it when we talk to trivia, but this was one of the things that kept coming up in the research was this was Khomeini was specifically a yeah. big proponent of this film and like actually ended up having talks with Mercury about it. Wild. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm excited to get into that later. Um, so let's just dive right into plot summary because today we're doing the cow. I'll just jump into it. Often credited as being the first Iranian new wave film, the cow is a window into the lives of the tightly knit community whose livestock is under constant threat of being rustled. One of the most important community members is Mashd Hassan, who owns the only cow in the remote and desolate village. He treats the cow as his best friend and own child. When Hassan goes away, a horrible unseen incident occurs and the cow dies. Knowing the relationship between Mashd Hassan and his cow, the villagers cover up the evidence of the death and tell him upon his return that his cow ran away. Mashd Hassan is devastated, unable to cope with the loss of his beloved cow, as well as the loss of livestock that affects his social st stature at the village. Hassan gradually goes insane, following a nervous breakdown, and believes he is the cow, adopting such mannerisms as eating hay and sleeping in the barn. His wife and the villagers try to try in vain to restore his sanity and decide to make an attempt at taking him into town to get him to a hospital. It has no Rotten Tomato score as it doesn't have enough modern critical reviews, but it has an audience score of 91%. Mertash, what did you think of The Cow? This was the fourth time I think I watched it and I I like it. Simply, I I think it's it's a... It, it was a film ahead of its time, very much in line with with the master filmmakers of the world that was happening. Uh, I cannot find a flaw in it, to be honest with you. Uh, there are some scenes that I might not love, but I I can't find a flaw in it. And it, it's entertaining. It's it's philosophical. It's like beautifully shot, beautifully acted. Uh, I liked it. I, li I I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing film. Why? Okay. Can you just explain a little bit about like what new wave means to you and how, like, I mean, you don't have to talk about the Italian new wave, but specifically this is considered the birth of Iranian new wave. So what, like, what do you think it is specifically about this film and his attempts mm. at filmmaking that, that actually granted that title? Well, 
one thing there. So like I think brick, uh, the the mod brick and mirror was done before it by Gulistan, and there was another mm-hmm. film, but Kimia V, I think he did it. They were also like created to be the start of new wave, but because they were not popular, and this one did amazing right. in 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 theater. This was considered the start of the new wave. The reason why mm-hmm. is because back then you would only had film far C that was happening, right? So mm-hmm. it was very, there was no story. Commercial. It was very commercial, just like dancing and singing and heroes just goes and rescues everyone. So this one was the first one that actually had, you know, some cinematic value, if you want to consider it. Right. That, 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 you know, uh, and after that, because it did well with public, I mean, there's a whole story I'm sure you're going to talk about of how it was banned and then even before Revolution and then it, it became, but mm-hmm. why it was considered, because it was right after that, Hukimia E as well, at the same year, he made another film and they were both a reaction of all of all the, again, intellectuals of at the time of Iran try to kind of react to the the this stupidness of the Iranian cinema at a time and then they made this and then after that there was another one and then started doing this more of these films and then there was this cultural uh discourse that was happening at a time about like yes let's let's make this cinema let's treat it as art and like let's explore things and they were obviously influenced by the French cinema like culture back then it was just generally very influenced by the the, the French and um I think the reason why, because after this, just more and more stuff was coming out that was had mm-hmm. recognition. Farm, what did you think of the cow? Because I have a feeling I've gotten to know your tastes. Um, I liked it. Uh, so these are my initial thoughts. I just kind of jotted down randomly. I thought the opening sequence was really cool. I'm curious to know, technically speaking, how they pulled that off, especially in iran in the 60s because it was what 69 right that the film came out yeah do you mean opening shots as in like the the opening sequence the like like, the title sequence torture oh okay yeah because like yeah obviously when you're doing a opening sequence like that it requires a little bit of technical prowess and i think with film farsi there wasn't a lot of that so i'm just curious to know practically speaking what efforts went into accomplishing it R- immediately something that stood out to me was the cinematography of the film mm-hmm. Kava, you yeah. texted me this um earlier but you mentioned that this was by far the, the most beautiful film that we've covered on the podcast so far and i i can't agree more like it it was beautiful mm-hmm. absolutely stunning and i'm and i was sitting there and i was like i wonder how they accomplished make like even just making sure that every single shot was in focus and properly exposed right because this is again Mm, this is this is not a very sophisticated time for cinema in iran and a lot of the movies that came after this that were shot on film still have sequences that are either either overexposed or or out of focus in fact a lot of hollywood films that came out around this time have tons (laughs) of shots that are overexposed and out of focus like big massive hollywood films yeah. Um, I thought uh, pretty early on, I thought that it was giving me like major Kurosawa vibes. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt a little bit like a cross between um, The Elephant Man 
and and with like a Kurosawa take on it. With like Seven Samurai or something, the Buluri or the yeah, or like the Buluri egg show up. That, yeah, hundred percent. With that yeah. shot where he sees the the three bandits from the other village, like at the top of the hill, I was like, oh, yeah. this is like a hundred percent Kurosawa vibes. Um, the music, I love the music. I love that he was implementing classical Iranian music. That was a major criticism that I had about a lot of Kurosawa's work is that his over reliance on a lot of European uh, orchestral music. Whereas this, I thought, was was beautiful and very much uh, aligned with, you know, our cultural history. Um, there was a, a little exchange of dialogue that I, I, I mentioned here that I really liked, uh, where the, the one bandit shows up with the dead chicken. He knocks on the door and uh, the woman's mm-hmm. like, is that from the other village? He's like, yeah. Did you steal it? Yeah. And she just goes, hmm. And she takes it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that it's like, well, she knows that she probably shouldn't be eating a stolen chicken, but they're like poor, so they'll she'll take yeah. what she can get, which I thought was funny. Um, on that same line of thought, there's a shot with like a three-legged dog that that also, I thought, added some character to the village. The baby donkey that comes through the gate. Like these were all little details in the town that uh that really stood out to me as as feeling like this town was real and alive i also wrote that it seems like everyone in the town has more reverence for the cow than they do for the the like and i hate calling him this but it's it's a bit of like a cliche but like the village idiot right Mm -hmm. there's this poor guy who is probably suffering from some kind of mental illness or or i don't know if he was born with something but he's very clearly neurodivergent from everybody else in the in the film and uh the the opening scene after the after the opening sequence is them trying to burn him alive and they're all laughing about it and as the movie goes on we see how they give more reverence to the animals than they do to him which i thought was was interesting that's partly because and we'll get to it i guess when we talk about deeper analysis but it's like the cow has worth to the village and the village idiot has no worth to the village and I think a big thing of what Mary yeah. is saying in this film is like, yeah, the importance of what your worth is to a community, also, yeah. or like at least the perception, the effect it has on you. These are all like because don't forget it's based on Olam Sainsaidi's uh, short stories book, like Azadaran Bayal, which is basically this whole village that goes through, you know, basically the whole themes of that story is mm. death, and you know, mostly death and um, and mourning and survival. So all of these little things have meanings, like mm-hmm. symbol and metaphors, and the the village idiots and the cow and the dog. Animals are very, very important in it. Yeah. And the 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 characters. I, I don't know if you notice in the film the cat Khoda, like the head of the village, always asks the other guy what to do. Yeah. Even though he is the head of the <laughs> yeah. village. Yeah. Yeah. And well, because and he <laughs> mentions too that he's like you're the most articulate out of all of us. Yeah, so, which is yeah. which is all like you know a jab at the society at a time, For and sure. like the way that he wrote the story, and because they were good friends as well, like the Merchui and Olam Society, they were both very good friends, and they wrote the script together. So a lot of the things, I actually did a, I actually went back and read the story and some of the other stories in the book uh, after I watched this, mm. and you see the difference between the actual story and the screenplay for this. So he added mm. actually different elements from the other short stories in that book. Into the film. Into the That's film. That's cool. Well, and yeah. don't when, get me wrong, a lot of these things that I'm pointing out, they're not 
criticisms of the story. They're they're little funny things or weird things or criticisms I have with the village and with the characters, which I think actually adds to the film quite a bit and is part of why I really like the film is because it it makes the characters in the story feel very real and it gives character to the actual village as a whole. Um, And one of the last things I wrote here was um, just with the ending of the film that this guy that uh, his name's Islam, right? Uh, everyone looks up to this guy. He's the most articulate in the village. He has the most respect for Hassan. Um, he's the guy that ends up treating him like an animal at the end. And that's what like sets him off to like run off the cliff. And I thought that that was, it was very moving to see that. It was very heartbreaking to see that. Um, and then when he leaves the village, he says, oh, oh, don't worry, I'll go get him which is very similar to how they treated the loss of the cow when they're like, Oh, don't worry. Like he's over that hill. We're going to go get him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that the ending was really beautiful. One of the things that really stuck out to me is that the cinematography was so beautiful that I find there's very few moments. You can't just take and keep portraits on your wall of like any still Mm -hmm. frame of that film could honestly, you could hang as a piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Which I thought was, um, just so beautiful. And one thing too, the shots and reverse shots, especially early on, I felt I could see the editing, but not as a form of criticism. That's not like to be like, oh, I see the editing. I, I meant like I could feel like every cut was so Thoughtful. intentional yep. and direct. Mm-hmm, yep. And I was mm-hmm. like, this. it really was like one of those first times, specifically in Iranian cinema, that I could point this, I could give this to a, a young director and be like, you want to learn how to like choose your shots and choose, like you want to see a film like, how to cut your film later on, watch even the first half hour of this film. That is because yeah. each shot is telling a story. It's a reaction or it's painting a larger world. It's And it was so like, there isn't just a panning camera and then here's the cut to this. Cause it's mm-hmm. like every still shot cuts to the next still shot. And it does that Hitchcock thing of like together, the composition tells you something. That is so fascinating. Uh, just to interrupt you real quick, because like I did yeah, the yeah. same. I did. I did that. Like as you were saying, like teaching to to people how to do. Like I was watching it, and I would go back and I'd be like, mm. "Oh, that shot is this shot," and then it cut to this, and then it's sort of, yeah. It took me like, like probably like two and a half hours to watch the whole thing because I was just like keep going back and forth. I'm like, "Well, <laughs> how did this?" Yeah, it was. It was yeah, it's, it's very on point. It's very intentional and very thoughtful. And there's also, um, I want to say, because I wrote down, that I thought the, I made a point of the music too. I thought the music was so beautiful and really resonated with me. And his, mm. the, the musician, the, the artist's name is Hormoz Farhat, which I think we deserves a call out because I mm. did really think beautiful choice of music. It was the first time that I specifically made a mental note. He played, Darvish Mirjui played the Santu version of all of those things himself. I don't know if wow. you guys knew that. Yeah. Oh, for the final, for the final cut? For, for the whole thing. Yeah. All the Santu you hear is himself playing it but Hormoz uh Fahad wrote the wrote yeah, yeah, the yeah composition wrote the composition yeah Hormoz is a name you don't hear enough people need to bring that one back there was something too I was gonna see well let me find the 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 shot composition is the best I think we've seen in any film so like when I was saying to you the cinematography it was just like that Kurosawa thing um of like so much happening even if it's just a foreground background shot it was mm-hmm. like so that the shot was like you could, there's so much depth to it. You could see a whole world. You could see, it was, again, like that thing of like, it looked like a painting you could hang on. Mm-hmm. There's just. And so much attention put into the, that 
like achieving that shot composition. Like even the shot where all the villagers are looking through the window and it's shot from inside, the wall from inside is also exposed very well, as are the faces of everybody up at the window. And yeah. to and to achieve that is not an easy task. Like even if you were to do it digitally right now. No, it's very, very like it's I as as I was watching it and I'll see all these shots and coverage, I I was at the exact same thought. I was like, this is insanely shot. And at the same time I was like, damn, I wish I had I had time to do that on every shot, every yeah. every movie yeah. you want to shoot. Because there's one scene, it has like four coverage and they're very thoughtful and they're set and lighting it back then for film will take some a lot of time and mm-hmm. for different shots and different mm-hmm. reactions. Yeah. So you like each of those scenes will take hours to shoot and will take meticulous atten- like you know attention to details and and movements and blocking and mm-hmm. those actors were they were not cinema actors mm-hmm. they were all for the first time ever playing in movies they're all theater actors so their movements needed to be coordinated very well mm-hmm. anyway sorry i didn't want to and you're shooting you on it was film just like no. a little yeah and you're shooting on film which is yeah. quite it's it just again could it gives you why this became iranian new wave because it's the first time really i mean I would say the third time, really, someone paying that much attention to everything and knowing what they're doing and bringing... Because the ability, the technicals existed. They were just not demanded of them, right? The cinematographers clearly knew what to do. There was no director be like, oh, I need this to happen like this and let's create it. And they thrived on that. One thing I wanted to add was I really like there's some subtle sense of humor throughout the whole thing, too, like in a film that you don't really expect it. One thing I really liked was they have this constant motif, especially the first time you see when the woman is the wife is hysterical outside. Mm-hmm. There's that man in the window who keeps saying, what's happening? And they're oh, ignoring him. My, one of my favorite things. About yeah, it's a running guy. You just like this guy never leaves his house. He just sticks his head out the window and he's like, hey. Yeah, you know, Islam, what's going on here? Like, yeah. Don't worry about it. And they just keep cutting to him and they don't answer him, ignore him. It's so which is good. very funny. This is the peanut gallery from the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, There's, again, it'd be, it'd be might, we might, we probably jump into the deeper analysis. Like, this is all, like, I actually wrote that character down as one of my favorite things. So these are all symbolism at a time that was yeah. put in there, right? The guy who just observes and is like, oh, what's going on? And like, okay. Like, I have one yeah. of my favorite moments is when they're actually going after, uh, when they hear all at night and they're all going out that the village is going crazy and he's still sleeping by his window and then he wakes mm-hmm. up is like what's going on islam okay and he just goes back to his sleeping and that's and i highly recommend if if anyone wants to go and go read read the short stories of the book cuz this is and these characters are so prominent in all the other stories and like you 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 really get to and it's intentionally as you mentioned it's 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 humor put in there funny yeah. because it was at a time it was kind of what the society is what's the collection of short stories called Azodorone Bayal so the village is called Bayal in the story and the mourners mm. of Bayal basically uh, okay. it's, a, it's a collection of eight short stories they all happen in the village and it's mostly surrendered uh, revolving around uh, some sort of death in, in every story yeah, and okay. the villagers are dealing with it and it was at a time a very big and Saidi himself was a bit leftist at a time. He he was mm-hmm. leaning towards left. So you mm-hmm. would see some some um, 
connotations about those ideologies in the story, but mostly a reflection of the Iranian society at a time. And he used the village as this small society. It was also before adapted into a film. Apparently, it was adapted into a play as it well. Was. This specific yeah. story too, yeah. which I could actually see. I could almost see like the entire village being like a set dressing on a stage. One hundred percent. The other thing I wanted to add for a comedic moment was when was it Hassan? Hassan finally becomes fully the cow, and the Boluris come in the middle of the night to steal the cow, and it's him. And then they stop him and they chase the Boluris away, and he's like. Why he's like, what happened? They're like, nothing. It was just the Baluris just showed up to steal Hassan. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the line of like, they've come to steal Hassan because they're like sort of slowly adopting him as like, yeah, as the cow. The cow. Yeah. It's a very funny line. There's also um, something about like magical realism taking place because, mm-hmm. first of all, let me ask you guys both a question. I'd love both your answers. How did the cow die? Is it for sure we know for sure it was? Boluris came and killed them, or because that doesn't make sense, they would have no. came and stolen him, right? So we don't know exactly how. Yeah, uh, and I think it's intentional that we don't know how, because uh, and t- we don't know, we don't know how he died, we don't know she, uh, uh, how she, she died. died, and why, because there's no, we don't really put it, you know, we don't. There's really, blood coming out of her mouth. We know yeah. that much. So it's not like it almost seems like there was some sort of like violent act or something it wasn't like it got sick and it threw up or something yeah it was specifically it could, blood yeah. pouring out of its mouth poison i mean i don't I, I don't think it ever wanted to like i think it's right. important that that is left mysterious because then he like the villagers are confused the the, yeah. the the wife is confused and there's a very specific moment when they say when he comes back for the first time is one of my favorite scenes when they tell him the cow has died and there's a close-up of him mm-hmm. of mashasan and then he he doesn't believe that he she left and he also in his brain and kudos to Azatolo and Tazami who's is we get to that it was my favorite yeah. actor like yeah. obviously was phenomenal in it and then the confu- like he doesn't believe that it's gone but deep down I feel like he he believes that he's he's she's dead more than that she she ever le- left because yeah. as he said he's the cow would never anyway to answer your question I don't think I no, I think he just died of like probably ate something and he was pregnant. So shit shit might happen with cows. I don't know. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it got some kind of weird thing in its stomach or its throat or whatever when the kids were feeding it those weird twigs. That was the only thing I could Mm -hmm. think of because like Mm -hmm. there's no way the bandits did it because they came later to try to steal it. Like they would have known that it was dead. Um, and I don't think anyone else in the village would have intentionally done it. So the only thing I can think of is that when the kids were like feeding it those sticks, that those sticks might have like messed up its stomach somehow. And then it so it died from that. The question is, does it matter? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. No. For the purposes of this plot. But yeah, I just wanted to well, know there wasn't something I had missed. I, I do think it matters and we can talk about it in deeper analysis. Should we go to the behind the scenes and trivia? Yeah. Sure. Behind the scenes and trivia. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to rock you with one I bet you guys didn't look into. Okay. Let's see. Boanthropy is a real psychological disorder in which a human believes themselves to be a bovine, either a cow or an ox. Grouped together into the diagnosis of clinical lycanthropy, both Carl Jung and Freud had noted cases of it in their records. And the Bouillet 
Prince Majd Adola was reported to have thought himself as a cow. He would apparently frequently moo and ask to be killed so that his flesh could be consumed. He was subsequently cured of his delusion by the medieval Persian physician Avicenna. It is incredibly likely that the elements of the plot of the cow were inspired by this real historical event. Okay. Okay. What I what I was reading what I read or at a time or teachers was talking about all of this as well is like the it's the inspiration from the metamorphosis society when he was writing this, the metamorphosis of Kafka. The mm-hmm. uh and the the character becomes a cockroach. A cockroach. And that's how he he kind of got inspired from that and tried to tell that story there. Wow, interesting. Wow. So what was the name of the disease again? Uh Boanthropy. Bovine anthropy. Bovine to be. Bo- yeah, yeah. Mercury says he was mostly influenced by Italian New Wave cinema, the films of uh Sergei Eisenstein and British art house films. He felt the absences of such kind of films in Iran and thought he would try and make one. The thing he says he learned from new realism is to seek out your own reality, not others. Try and be yourself and seek out the reality inherent in your culture, your society. The closer and deeper you go into that reality, the more universal it will become. Mm. Which I think is just good advice for film writing. and General, yeah. Kids out there, just take that advice. Kids. All the children listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. Uh, financed largely by the Shah's government, the producers were aghast at the finished film as they felt it made Iran look like it was a completely backwards country. Its, inten- its international acclaim made the Shah government worried that the only depiction they are getting of Iran is a small village, and they confiscated the film for over a year. The film was only allowed to be released with a disclaimer attached at the beginning, stating that the events depicted happened long before the then-existing regime. Yeah, 40 years before the regime, yeah. Gov was banned for over a year by the Ministry of Culture and Arts, despite being one of the first two films in Iran to receive government funding. This is like a consistent trend I'm noticing with a lot of these (laughs) pre-revolutionary movies, is that they get like censored and banned, or they're like, they take it away and they're like, you have to change this, or you have to add this, or whatever, which... To me, like when you read a lot of these Reddit threads and like a lot of this online discussions or in the, the the chats of all these different posts that are being made a lot of times, especially by diasporic Iranians, um, like the children of people who left Iran or the grandchildren or whatever, which I myself am the child of people who left Iran, but often people's analysis of Iran and people's expression of Iran under the Shah, everyone's like, it was great, it was perfect. Okay, let's let's uh, let's pump the brakes there. Obviously, comparing it to the way things are now, it was significantly different. But I wouldn't say it was anywhere near perfect. Evidence by every single one of these movies that we've talked about that's pre-revolution have all gone through some kind of censorship, or they were pulled, or they made them change things. Like that's mm. not uh, that's not something that you see in a lot of countries. Yeah, I mean, at, you gotta also like I totally agree. Like it was not perfect at all. Like uh, we might we might get into the the politics of things over here, but like yeah, but you gotta compare it to the the countries next to it or, or relative to the other countries there. Like you gotta compare it to, like to Turkey at a time that was like because you have a huge country that was very extremely religious till like early 1910s 1920s when the Reza Shah came and then like it forced like and was back like country was during Qajar dynasty Iran 
was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was backwards. Like you had no Iran didn't exist really. You didn't. The people were still like they had carriages in the streets and like there there was no roads. There was nothing. Uh, and then it's and compared to like the countries next to it, Iran was a still. Yeah, the political freedom maybe wasn't wasn't great, uh, and but it wasn't as intense as it is obviously now. Or sure. the censorship is related to the images of Iran, or like what do you want to say? Anyway, but that's yeah, it's for sure. I guess true. my point is more just that I have specifically heard people say that there was no censorship under the Shah. Like I have, I have heard people say oh, that, yeah, and no, I've that, seen no. people write that, and I've been like, you're. This is revisionist history because it was absolutely a beacon for for free thought at the time. But that's a relative statement because you're comparing it to the other countries in the area or you're comparing it to Rajar in Iran. But to just flat out say there was no censorship and people could do whatever they wanted is also, I think, being a little disingenuous. Oh, for sure, for sure. No, there was definitely there was definitely censorship there, and there was definitely you didn't have, especially near the end, the mm-hmm. last twenty years of the Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, uh, it got really closed off. Like it, like it became a one party uh, government basically, and that one party mm-hmm. was ruled uh, like aligned with Shahs and everything. And a lot of this film, that's why a lot of it, it was actually banned is yeah one was because he was showing shock government at the time really tried to showcase a modern image of iran at a time and like really try to show that they're progressive country and they're going forward and then this showed you know the 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 poverty that existed in the villages and they did not like that even though they were trying to fix it anyway uh yeah anyway so let me give you some fun facts there and behind the scenes yeah, is, yeah. Uh, the to to what you said after it was banned. I don't know if you found that out. The the letter that Mercury himself wrote to the minister after no, the ban. So so they they banned the movie and Mercury was like, "What the hell this is? Like, what am I gonna do?" Uh, so what they do because they're so like, "Oh, this is no one's gonna like this. This is terrible. Like the intellectuals don't like it. The ordinary people don't like it." And so what he did, they actually organized a private screening and they invited intellectuals of at a time, writers, a journalist and ordinary people. And they showed them, I think it's a crowd of like 40, 50 people. Jalal Ola Ahmad was one of them. Simi Danishvar was one of them. These are these are at the time contemporary writers that everybody really acknowledged. And then mm-hmm. he showed it to them. And after it was done, he wrote a letter on the feedback that he received. It was like, everyone liked it. People say the dialogue. Some people say that the dialogue is not good. But some people, Jalal Ola Ahmad specifically said, oh, this is a movie that you got to keep you got you got to watch more than once so he was trying mm-hmm. to convince the government that it doesn't it's not it doesn't have that impact that the government is thinking at a time mm-hmm. he really tried to um change their mind and basically he did that screening and after i think they smuggled the movie into venice um and then after he got the recognition they were like okay so you need to put this there so it's not um you know, it shows that it's from older Iran, not now. <laughs> so basically, he was not, they weren't liking that he's showing the poverty that exists in the village. To that point, they actually had to wash all the walls of the village. 
So they water washed oh, all the village. Wow. So it, it shows very pristine and clean. Wow. Yeah. I will say the it's, textures of the walls in the village actually stood out to me. So that's interesting. I want to tell you another fun fact about the movie. I don't know if you yeah. guys read, if you saw the critics, uh, but Mahmoud Dolatabadi is one of the actors. Probably one of the best. He's the most important contemporary writer literature uh who so he well you guys should look him up like he's he at a time they were all very good friends with mercury and he now is in france i think his book uh, the colonel is his latest book that is still banned from iran revolution from iran government but he is translated so it's one of the only books that has come out in other it has come out actually published in english and french before it was published in Farsi and oh, wow. because it was never published. And then you can right. still find it illegally, but it's not, people don't want to do it because it hasn't endorsed by him. So, uh, but yeah, he's one of the actors. He's the guy who actually goes look for the cow. That's awesome. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. And he's a, he's a big, big, I was blown away when I found out that he was in it and he never really acted in anything after that. It's another testament of like, the new wave, the Iranian cinema, new wave cinema that happened is a reaction of all the intellectuals and all the thinkers at a time. They were like, we let's do something together to change this. The world is doing it. And he, Mercury came back and he studied in UCLA. Like he studied philosophy and film there. And apparently Jean Reno was one of his teachers. Um, so he was very influenced by him and he comes back to Iran and then sees what the hell is happening in Iran. And, um, he, they all get together and they had, cause at a time, like places like Kofi Naderi and all the other places, he was famous for all the thinkers and intellectuals to get together and like, just chat about the, the, the things that were happening. And that's why a lot of leftist movements was also flourished at a time because of these, 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 uh, analogies. But anyway, the fact that, Ghulam Hussein Saidi wrote it, Mahmoud Dolatabadi is in it, and Darish Mercury directed it. It just tells you at a time like why this has such a big impact on and why is it so different from all the other films. It's very intentionally made by people who were very influenced by the Western culture at a time, but and they were intellectuals, they were thinkers, they really wanted to say something and then just got together and uh and made this really. And it's quite fascinating to be honest with you like i will add to that although gov was highly praised and won an award at the ministry of cultures film festival it was still denied an export permit in 1971 the film was smuggled out of iran and submitted to the venice film festival where without programming or subtitles it became the largest event of that year's festival it won the international critics award at venice without subtitles yeah yeah. How did people? They had to learn Farsi. There is a quick, fast, short order. There's a fascinating article that you can still go find by someone who wrote it at a time without seeing, without understanding the the dialogue, and he wrote about what we guys, what we talked about about the cinematography, the intentions, and the acting, and all that stuff. So he's still he didn't understand. It was like I can tell that I'm watching something amazing and philosophical and intentional. Uh, one thing, one more thing I would say about Dolato, because I feel like it's important if you mention his name, like just like what his influence was, like the, one of his mm -hmm. most important books was Keleidar, who he actually wrote after revolution and the tale of, uh, Baba Sopan, uh, Baba Sopan, they were like very influential contemporary books at a time. 
anyway, I just found it interesting that he was in the movie. Dope. Lead actor Izzatullah Intizami had never acted in a film prior to this. He'd go on to star in 60 films after The Cow and make quite a career for himself. He's probably the most important Iranian actor. Like, he was the Marlon Brando of Iran, I would say. Like, the level of respect that everybody, everybody knew him. From higher class to lower class, like, people with no education, you would see him, you would know him. Would you uh, say more than Berfruz Vosori? Yeah, that's a quite a quite a after the revolution. I would say Zatullah Intizami was a lot more prominent. Like you would, mm. everyone knew him. Like be, until he died, he was very well respected. Uh, but yeah, Beruz Wusuri, I would say like yeah, before revolution, he was the one that every like the common people, I would say, were very more familiar. The commoners. The commoners, yeah. People who don't listen to this podcast. Please, please take this out. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, Kava and I are both, like, praising Behrouz Busuri in the other. <laughs> so. I love him. So but yeah, good. he was, yeah, he did more film Farsi stuff, like... Um, but also, so after the revolution, oh, he, did, he, he did, just did, went he out, He did other right? Iranian stuff after film Farsi as well, before the revolution. Yeah. Like, that, like... 10, 15 year period there. He did tons of movies. Oh yeah. And like very, like Suta Delan is, he's one of his best performances ever in Iranian films. I would say like he's, he was, he's insane in that. He's a very, very, or Qaysar himself. Like he, he was, Qaysar is also attributed to, uh, is it Qaysar is like also made by Kimi at the same year, I would say as this one. Um, I want to do, I love that film and I want to do it for the podcast. Yeah. So Kaysai is 1969. There's nudity in that film. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's also attributed to a Persian Iranian new wave. Um, getting to like the, something pretty heavy, but facing the reality of the situation, we'll get to the big topic of why we're doing this podcast. Because in March of 2022, Mercury publicly denounced the Shiite censorship in front of a filled cinema crowd. Mercury announced, listen to me, I can't take it anymore. He said, I want to fight back, kill me, do whatever you want with me, destroy me, but I want my rights. Consequently, on October 14th, 2023, which is seven Days ago, six days ago, Darius Merchu and his wife, Fahide Mohamed Difar, were found stabbed to death in their villa in... Okay, Meshkin Dasht, Karaj. Well, technically, yeah. Ziba Dasht in Meshkin Dasht in Karaj. Uh, neither the identity of the perpetrators nor the motives have been disclosed, and further details are not available. Prior to this incident, though... Vahide had posted on her social media page about anonymous personal threats, including threats from a non-Iranian individual with a knife. And on October 17th, the Iranian police arrested 10 individuals sus suspected of being involved in the murders, including the quote-unquote main killer. Cowards. 
cowards came into their house, whether it's because of his films or his politics or his stance against the films and politics, and murdered him very recently. And it's been a shock, right? Let's like, I mean, mm-hmm. what was Marithash? I want to start with you because I was the one who broke the news yeah, to you, right? Yeah, yeah, you were. Tell me your first thoughts. When I you was heard shocked. About this. I was extremely shocked, and I was. I was away from the town at the time. I was having a great time, actually, just enjoying. And then yeah, <laughs> he texted, and I was like, what? And then I had to go look up. And I was, and the fact that if he would, if, listen, if he was died of, you know, natural causes, whatever, obviously it wouldn't have been this shocking to me. Like I just, yeah, ruin, thank you, ruin my, ruin my day and my night. But he I'm was so sorry. he was insane Kava basically killed him if you think about it yeah yeah, yeah no and the, the reaction in the in the in the social media and among the Iranian uh you know artists was insane because no one believed mm-hmm. it and obviously you cannot no matter what the government says you can't help but think that you know they had something to do with it even if they I'm sure even if it, they didn't yeah. people will never believe that they they you know they actually had nothing to do with it and it's just a bad time for art and cinema in Iran and when you know basically a founding father of Iranian new wave is is murdered is quite a metaphor in cold blood in cold blood is quite a metaphor for what's happening in Iranian cinema right now by the Iranian regime yeah. basically Farhan your thoughts I think on that same note of what you said about um, even if the government wasn't involved, that people will never believe it. Funny enough, Mehdi had just before he was killed had mentioned that uh, Kiarostami's death was suspicious and that the neglect that he was given while he was in the hospital in Iran where they were like, oh, no, he doesn't have cancer. He doesn't have cancer. And then sure enough, when they took him to France, they're like, oh, he's had cancer for a while. Um, he insinuated that the government knew and and sort of let it happen. There's a mention of the the audio commentary for "And Life Goes On." The two critics even talk about how the death, Kiarostami's death, there was a medical accident that took place during the treatment of his cancer treatment, yeah, and surgery, and they had to rush him to Paris because some there was malpractice. Yeah, so basically malpractice yeah. for the, what that happened is I think Merju in that interview also like mentions that because the no one the doctors were just they're doing their work now as well, right? So it was quite a mm-hmm. quite a terrible like what happened is that the act apparently the actual doctor was supposed to to actually do the surgery he didn't do it and he sent someone else to do it he was traveling at a time and that person made a mistake mm-hmm. complications and then they had to fly him to france and at a time it was too late and he passed away and no one got you know there was malpractice happened and quite a terrible thing no one got prosecuted no one got blamed for just moved on and the doctor is just doing his thing and Mercury was extreme because basically they killed him you know by the lack of oversight and the lack of responsibility well and and for and for a long time before even that point the doctors were denying that he even had cancer mm-hmm. so even even before that happened the doctor's like oh he doesn't have cancer like we don't know what's going on blah 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 blah, blah. he's fine this and that he like slipped into a coma and everything. was it cancer like i I don't remember that he was even... I think was the, official, end, they, the official statement was he had died of cancer before they even admitted all the other stuff. Oh. The the doctors in France even confirmed that he did have cancer. Yeah, died of... Yeah, 
gastro yeah, yeah gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal cancer, cancer. um yeah shall we move on to critical reactions sure keep the flow yeah. going i already mentioned the shah's producers reactions um but worth <laughs> mentioning he who shall not be named although i've already named him once the leader of the islamic revolution of 1979 he considered this one of his favorite films <coughs> sorry Go yeah on. uh he considered this one of his favorite films um but you know F what he thinks. But this in turn has been reported to being one of the saving graces that allowed Iranian cinema to continue rather than being banned in the Iranian revolution. Because um, Merjui at the time being critical of the Shah and also I think given credit not knowing where that was going to lead had actually met with Khomeini in Paris according to reports had actually photographed him mm-hmm. and flew back in a plane with him. So I think their, their discussions about cinema I don't know, like Meritage, you grew up there. So how do you how do you feel with that fact being I mean it is fact, right? This isn't like hearsay that uh, I don't know how had, much like, of visited a, him. I don't know how much of a fact it is, but they do say that. I don't I, I don't think it's written anywhere, mm-hmm. but people attribute that. I don't know if there was one rumor that got out of way. But um but yeah, he, he didn't ban cinemas. I wouldn't be surprised if he was because of this film because Shaw was critical of the film and then he was critical of he was he liked everything that Shaw didn't like, obviously and yeah, it was religious stuff in the movie, and I'm I'm pretty sure he didn't understand it, uh, what the movie was about. But yeah, at the time, the you know that's the this Mercury himself was they all regretful of what happened, but they were all for Khomeini, right? They were all for revolution. They were all for mm-hmm. they had this these agendas and these mentalities mm-hmm. and. They were against and they thought something better was going to come out. And then he basically came and destroyed them. I, mm-hmm. It's a it's a common story of all the, the people who were involved in the revolution are re- regretful now. And all the so-called intellectuals at a time and mm-hmm. what they were thinking. And then they just didn't get what they, they were hoping for. And they now realize mm-hmm. that maybe a, 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 a cleric is not the best leader for <laughs> surprise there. Deeper analysis. Um, you know what, Far- I'll start with you, Farhan, because you have not talked in a while. So deeper analysis for me, there's kind of two. Um, one of them is a little bit about the thesis of the film. And I think that the film is kind of all about dignity and how we treat people. Whether it's the village idiot or uh, the, vi- the, the bandits from the other village who are poor and, and they're like, okay, well, we're poor, so we need food to survive, so we're going to go steal from the other village. So that's the way that they're treating them. Lying to Hassan to spare his pain, um, but then the lying makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Trying to empathize with him and ultimately treating him like an animal is what sets him off um, down the down the hill where he ultimately meets his fate. I think the movie is constantly providing commentary on the way that human beings treat one another. And it's a and it's a film about how do we do that and maintain dignity. So that for me is kind of what the 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 movie was about, or at least what I took away from it. And allegorically, um, and I'm curious to see what allegories you guys pull from this. But my watching of the film, I kind of felt like this might have been a commentary on um, the way that he was viewing Iranian society at the time, where you have Hassan, who's this sweet man that everybody loves and everybody respects him is i think supposed to be a stand-in for uh the iranian people right um but through an unfortunate 
through an unfortunate series of events, he he loses the thing that's so precious to him. And when he loses that thing that's precious to him, he goes mad and he starts to act like a cow and he starts to like act weird and, and act like an animal. And he devolves because he loses this thing that's so precious to him. Now, I wonder if that is an allegory for Iranian society at the time, um, what is the thing that that the Iranian people lost that was dear to them that led to them becoming animals? Is it this uh, this view of spirituality? Is that what he's commenting on? That, oh, this led to godlessness? Is it um, their ability to express themselves where a few years prior, a few decades prior, at least in parliament and through elections and through conversations and rising political parties, people felt as though they could express themselves and that expression was taken away. And now people are, are in these dire situations. I don't know. But the that was something that I pulled from it. Not necessarily that something I agree with, but it's something that I, I recognize might be a parallel that the writers were drawing between Hassan and the Iranian people or Iranian society at the time. Again, I don't necessarily agree with that. You say godlessness, but it really is govlessness. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Also, for the listeners of this podcast, I want to clarify, I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment, like the sentiment of, oh, this, like the people of Iran became animals and they were like godless and whatever, whatever. I don't agree with that. What I'm saying is that at the time, this was a sentiment that was very prominent in Iran, that people had lost their spirituality and they were becoming godless, which was one of the things that that led to the rise in the revolution. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't. Again, I think one of the beauty of this film and the stories that it's based on is you ha- we can get all this interpretation out of it i'm not sure if i'm pretty sure if you go back to society or mercury themselves and be like hey what exactly were these characters symbol of uh, maybe he has a f- proper answer or sometimes it's just a feeling and sentiment that you put there probably he did um but yeah i don't know if if the the godlessness of people it's yeah, it's to me the again because now that we're talking about the deeper analysis of like how mm-hmm. society is basically portraying this village as the a symbol of the Iranian society at a time and the 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 head of the village, the Kat Khoda, not knowing a lot of things and asking the smart, the wise guy. These are all symbols, mm-hmm. and you have we talked about that character who's always in the in in his window and asking what's going on like that's a symbol of a lot of people in iran who were just not interested in what's going on and just you know just like okay i'm just gonna do my own thing i'm not really interested in any of this and then himself uh the the paranoia like basically the three characters the three villagers from buluriha they say that it's it's a symbol of the outsider that are going to come and take everything away from mm-hmm. you. And that's the fear mm-hmm. of the Shah at a time that it has in the society. And and the cow being the only uh, source of income, basically the only source of like dairy and the like, value that they had. It's the symbol of the, 
you know, the, the dependency of Iran to oil and the paranoia that the Shah had at a time and not, you know, and being afraid that it's going to, you know, destroy the whole village if this is gone away. So, mm. the, so, so the idea is Bulur is like the, like the Western nations. So like the U S or England, like wanting to come and take Iraq, the oil. Is that even the Iraq, anything like it could have been any external threat. It could have been anything. And also the name Bulur is, is not, is not coincidental, right? Bulur is, is, is crystal. It's something that's like lightning and it's something that's supposed to, they know it all. Like they, they are the one who, it's who enlightenment. Knows, like, <laughs> It's enlightenment. Okay, yeah. so that is the same word. I was wondering if it was like spelt differently or something. No, it's okay, the same. It's the same word. And all the other okay. names are also, you know, if you go back, like Islam is the guy who knows everything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's not coincidental by choice, right? Yeah. And the metamorphosis of this character when he, when you take away his, his everything and, you know, his only meaning in life and then, then you take that away and then he doesn't accept it and he becomes that that thing and mm-hmm. he doesn't want to again it's a good symbolism of everything that was going on uh mm-hmm. at a time or at least what the intellectuals at the time were thinking about iran society what i i don't know this but what is the um the mythology i guess around hassan in uh in like shia muslim teaching in iran so Hassan is the third, is the second son of Ali, the eldest son of Ali. Hassan, they say in Shia, he's the third prof, he's the third uh, Ali. Hassan Hussein is the second Imam in Shia mythology, and he's the wise guy who is actually got defeated in a battle, basically, and they don't want to talk about it. They say like he chose he chose not to to war to to go to to war like his younger brother Hussein, who is a big big character in in Shia religion. Um, mm. He he's famous. Hassan is always famous for being the 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 like the like the the wise guy, you know, the wise prophet mm. who 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 gave up himself for the good of the society basically Mm -hmm. that's that's Mm. what the the kind of principle behind it is do you think there there are parallels to draw between like islamic hassan and the hassan in the film i don't know i'm sure i'm sure because again knowing knowing what they they, he wrote and knowing the how aware he was about what he's he's writing he i'm pretty sure he chose all these names properly or maybe if he didn't have any religious and i don't know it's it's interesting because it was also a very common name at a time religious yeah, name and the, the the village is very religious so all the names are very religious hassan hussein islam like all these people uh no rezas no rezas yeah <laughs> yeah well mash the mash is someone who goes yeah. visit mashat they and yeah they would they would become Ashley, yeah. Can I drop some deeper analysis truth bombs on you guys? Please do. No. I'm going to bring up two things. Kurt Vonnegut's book, Mother Night, and Karl Marx's theory of social alienation. Okay. Uh, Mother Night is one of my, is, is actually my favorite Kurt Vonnegut book. And the main thesis of that is you are what you pretend to be. And in the story, this guy is infiltrating mm. Nazis essentially for so long. He spent so many years infiltrating Nazis. They slowly like becoming one, even though he's trying to spy on them. Um, Which I feel like is something, there's something very like you pretend to be a cow long enough. The world will treat you as such. 
You know, whatever you pretend to be mm. for long enough, you will become that, even if you're pretending or whatever. Mm-hmm. The other thing is... Fake it till you make it. Well, a Pers- I'm going to drop a Persian expression exactly like yeah. that. It's like... But it's, it's, I guess the idea is if you walk and cluck like a chicken long enough, you become you forget yes. how to walk like a... Yeah like yourself do you guys are you familiar with marx's theory of alienation uh not not too not too much yeah no i am not his criticism of uh capitalism was that like it it diminishes the uh, human experience and so it says that human experience becomes worthless under capitalist um society uh the sense of self the sense of self diminishes and disappears so basically in this situation it's like hassan has lost because he's lost the cow and it's very important i think that there's only one cow in the village and he's the one who's the caretaker of the cow. He's the owner of the cow. So it's like that cow gave him purpose and meaning in this village. So it's not just that the cow is gone that he loved like a child, but now his sense of purpose in this community is gone. And I think all the stuff you're saying, Maritash, about the parallels to the Shah is very interesting because I hadn't even made that connection. But it's like without this cow, Hassan knows that his place, he's he's not needed anymore. So it's like mm. not just that the cow is gone. His purpose and his identity is gone. And this idea of like, this theory of social alienation is like in a capitalist society, if we depend on capitalism, it's like those products, the, the mechanisms of capitalism will take away our sense of self, our sense of worth. And it'll take it like it, it makes us castaways and alienated from the rest of society. He's essentially saying that how important it is to feel useful mm-hmm. and, and worthwhile. He instantly becomes he feels he isn't worth anything to anyone in the townspeople anymore. So he is like the next village idiot. He's a castaway. And that reality is what's breaking his brain. The nervous breakdown isn't coming from the cow that I love is gone. It's from I am no longer a useful product to my society anymore. And he can't handle that logically. Mm. And that's why I think the village idiot is there too. It's like you, he realizes like you need the parallels of seeing like worthless people in society and useful people in society. And I feel like when you bring up the oil of the cow allegories and the shah of being mm. Hassan, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So I'm going to read... Uh... Because I found a very good article that's written uh, a long time ago uh, by... Yeah, there you go. So it's written by Amir Sultani on March 2015. There, I'm just going to paraphrase here. Uh, the cow is a richly layered field. Mercury thinks of it as a philosophical exercise, not unlike the metamorphosis. But there's a specifically Iranian angle at play, influenced by the Sufi beliefs of unity between lover and muse. Mercury's mm. background in philosophy allowed him to infuse uh, Saidi's original text with mysticism, but the film was nevertheless read politically. As Mercury lyrics in his booklet interview with actor-director Mani Hariri, who was a great filmmaker himself, you guys should go, everybody who listens to this should go look him up. The country's situation at the time was such that the polit- politics could not be evaded among the, uh, in, in, uh, in, among the intellectuals and the artists, but interpreting the cow politically wasn't just sign of the time so it means like it did have intentions of mm-hmm. politics yeah. in it to begin with i think to to kind of expand a little bit on the allegory that you you made i think this idea that the shah is almost like oh now that the reliance on oil is gone like it's not just oil like i am the oil i am the value i am these things that's like an interesting mm-hmm. way to look at it similarly i think in the in the analogy that the cow is a stand-in for like spirituality and where that's no longer as infused in society, all of a sudden you have a massive group in society that declares 
no, we we are religion, we are spirituality, we are what is just and whatever, but they become this like mutated fake version of these things, of spirituality and of of these deeper philosophical passions that people have. They become the, the these like empty copies of these things. Uh best scene. Favorite scene for you guys. Do you have one? Ooh, yeah, many. I'll just, I'll go first. My, mine was when you when he first arrives to hear the cow is missing and he's got the tears in his eyes and the performance when he goes on the rooftop and he's like, I'm going to sit out and watch for the boluris. And he's like, he's like, my cow is in the... Why would you lie to me? My cow is in the barn. گاب تو در رفته مشتی مشتسن تو که خودت صبح رفتی طویله رو دیدی بره در من آخه من که به تو دروغ نگفتم بابا گاب من همینجاست تو طویله اگه گابت همینجا تو طویله است پس چرا نمیری پیشش خب برو تو طویله پیش گابت دیگه آره بابا برو پیش گابت دیگه راست میگه مشتی that moment for me was like really touching and i thought the performance was really good mm. it's probably my favorite scene my favorite scene is when he's washing the cow. I just thought it was so sweet and nice. endearing, seeing how much he loved this cow. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm, I have a lot of favorite scenes, and I wrote them all. And it's, but my by far, I would say, it's basically a shot within a scene when they're actually throwing the cow in the in the well, and then you see mm. the shot of the face of the cow. Yeah. Uh, just hitting on the wall, and then and then the, to cut back to that with, with him dying at the end, I I found that extremely powerful. And then obviously the end scene when they actually you you tapped into that far on when they they start in the rain, they're all going and he's a cow now. It's metamorphed into a cow, and then they're trying to pull him, and then he starts hitting him. Islam starts hitting him, calling him an animal. That's like a insanely uh, powerful scene for me. Um, one of the other thing I think I wrote here, I said like many, but the best one is when they, when they watch Hassan running away as a cow with the, with the use of the mute, when the whole villages are coming up and he's like throwing a tantrum and he's like making a noise and he runs away from the stable and he starts running away from the, starts running away from the village at night. And then we see him just gone and the use of music and that again, Kurosawa-esque kind of way that we show the villagers and then him running away it's just it it hit you yeah least favorite scene for me it's the the um it keeps cutting away to the um b plots the it's like the 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 bandit giving the chicken in the middle of the night uh mm. the woman saying that her brother's in bolori and it just like for some reason it's either not giving enough of those. It's, I get that it's giving like an image of the townspeople, but yeah, I just didn't, it, to me, it didn't gel that well. Yeah. And I think for similar reasons, my least favorite scene is the stuff with um, the, the, the women with the, um, the flags. I feel like there wasn't enough context there. So I, I didn't quite understand what was going on. I think I did, but I don't know, just because it, it bumped me a little bit is why it's my least favorite. I'm not saying I hated the scene. It's just my least favorite because it kind of stood out a little as like, uh, as I couldn't really understand a hundred percent what was going on. 
Yeah, but I think mine is actually the same as yours, Farhan, is that, that that moment with the religious figures and like the morning of, you know, this spiritual wealth that they all had. And like, I get the point of it, why it's put there, like why they want to really showcase that. But I just, I don't think it's really working for me. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just showcasing that religiousness of Iran. So it's necessary to show it, but I don't think it's it, it was working. And also the B plots, I have to agree on that. I think we already talked about it. I, I don't think it's really working. They feel forced, but mm. um, yeah, it's not a lot of things that I didn't like about that film. But if I had to pick, I would say that these two, yeah. Damn, that's poetry where we discuss um, our favorite quotes from the film. I actually, my first one was, my cow would never run away. Where would she go? My cow's right there in the barn because he's like sense of denial. But then I think... On further inspection, Farhan, you and I share one. Yeah. So you take yours because I think mine, mine is the same as yours as my number one favorite. Mm -hmm. It's uh, nothing, man. The Bulleries came and tried to steal <laughs> Bashtasan, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Even like the way that it's delivered is very colloquial. It's like hichi baba. Yeah. It's like nothing, man. Like yeah, yeah, nothing, yeah, bro. Yeah. Like and it, and it's all this again that same character in the peanut gallery, like sticking his head out the window after like this massive dramatic scene has happened. He like sticks his hand out. And he's like, "Wait, what's going on outside?" They're like, "Nothing, man. They just they came and they tried to steal our mm. our cow, man." He's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> For me, the most poetic that i remember i remember watching and i was like oh man that's 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 you know that's that's a lot is when he's on the rooftop waiting he's basically a cow on a rooftop waiting for mashasan to come back and the villagers the three men come and ask him like hey why don't you come out and like go water your cow in the stable and you'll see that he's not there it's like no no mashasan needs to come back to give me water and um, and it's like he's gonna give me water where the moon comes out and they're like, what if the moon doesn't come out? And it's like, when my cow is thirsty, the moon will come out. It's like, it's like the moon is dependent on my cow. Like everything is around it, mm -hmm. surrounded by my cow. And the reaction of the... <laughs> The guys, when they hear this, is just it's just shot beautifully and just affects it very, very well. Hmm. Okay. Um, next section is favorite performance. Mehtash, who is your favorite performance in the film? I mean, it's Zetolo and Tazami. Like, it's it's hands down the best performance in the movie, to my opinion. It's just, and the fact that they were not, this was their, all of the actors there, this was their first ever cinema acting. And they were theater actors, and this was his first work, and he he knocks it out of the park. I think his, his performance mm -hmm. is, is subtle when it needs to be, it's big when it needs to be, and it really and he plays a cow to perfection <laughs> like it's you, <laughs> yeah. you feel sad and depressed and and 
it's very 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 impactful for me and i think he won awards in chicago for it i think it's one of the few festivals the film went i agree yeah the fact that he does really play convincing cat it's even almost in his eyes like he becomes more animalistic and he's like lost the humanity is gone in his eyes yeah which is really impressive and considering the fact that like we mentioned in trivia that this was his first performance acting role ever yeah and he's like even he brings his eyes to like watery tears which is really impressive so yeah, it's for me. Uh, is that what I intended? Mm, for me, it's uh, it's actually not him. I he's like definitely top contender for it, but I would give it to Ali Nasirian who played the role of Islam, especially because the, in a lot of his scenes, he conveys so much without even talking. Like he'll mm-hmm. just from the way that he changes the expression on his face his eyes, how he turns his head, his hands, his body language. He conveys so much uh, in just movement and the way he portrays mm-hmm. himself. Like one scene that really stands out to me is when he's, uh, when he finally calls Hassan an animal and then mm-hmm. he's immediately filled with so much regret and disgust in himself and he he really feels bad and he's heartbroken over the state of Hassan. And then the scene afterwards, when he says that he's going to go out and look for him, like those scenes were, were so profound. His performance was so profound. Um, Well, something you're saying that makes me actually, I just realized now too, is like, he does carry the weight of the, the, the burden of the emotional weight of the drama after Hassan is turned into a cow. That's true. Like once Hassan turns into a cow, he's not really a human with emotions anymore. He's a cow. Mm Mm-hmm. So like you're what you're saying is he like uh is was it Islam you said yeah 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 it, that's his name it's just like he's carrying the emotional weight for the rest of the drama mm-hmm. which is something that didn't even occur to me and it does it yeah. right it does it brilliantly and it's to me it's funny because this being their first ever cinema you could see the resonance of the the remnant like I mean mm-hmm. the beginning of their style of acting like Nasirinia mm-hmm. like the way that he he walks out of the room with his head first and then the way he turns his head to look at people that's mm-hmm. something that he's he's keep mm-hmm. doing for the rest of his career so to me that was just like very fascinating to watch all of these people for the first time and i have to mm-hmm. say i i have to mention parvisa fanizade in this film he's the one who has the character with his um his ships being stolen by Bluria, like mm. he's mm-hmm. just because he later on goes on and plays in Daija Napoleon, right? Like the Uncle Napoleon, mm. he's he's it's brilliant, and he's in uh Kimiani Kimiai films as well. I think Tank Seed he plays anyway. So I just his performance to me just stood out because I already knew that it's him, so he just I kept paying attention to it. I also just want to call out the fact that Ali Nasirian, who plays Islam looks a lot like an Iranian Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> and uh, Mahmoud Dolatabadi looks a lot like an Iranian Pedro Pascal, which I think is something that all three of us picked up on. He was a good-looking guy, man. Like, he's, and he was a brilliant, brilliant writer. Like, these guys, man, mm-hmm. back then they had it all and they did a revolution. They, they screwed themselves over. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to nitpicks and hot takes, and we'll combine it with what aged poorly. Because um, I don't have too many nitpicks. But I will say what aged poorly. Um, there's something strange about if he who shall not be named, whose last name starts with a K, calls this his favorite movie of all time. You know, as time goes on, you might want to take pause and wonder why that is. And, and to me, that adds yeah. credit to yeah. my 
uh, allegorical analysis of the film that the cow is supposed to represent spirituality. Khomeini saw yeah. that and he's like, yo, this is deep. You mean he who shall not be named? Sure. <laughs> he who shall not be named. Mine are, I guess a few technical ones are the, the, the slow-mo in the film wasn't done very well. And I think that that's lo- probably because they didn't shoot at high frame rate. Maybe the camera couldn't do mm-hmm. it or they didn't plan to do it that way. And likely through the use of an optical printer, they played the footage that they got back slowly and recaptured it on film at a slower frame rate, which just looks choppy. Mm -hmm. Um, And the crash zooms, I felt, were a little out of place. Again, a product of the time when zoom lenses were introduced, all of a sudden everyone was trying to find ways to implement them into films. Also, this might be a hot take. I thought the premise itself was maybe like 5% too absurd. I I like the premise. I think that you either go more absurdist with the film or more realistic. It felt like a weird middle ground, which at times worked and at times it didn't. But mm-hmm. that's like, uh, that's a massive hot take. And even for myself, I'm kind of grasping at, at straws with that one. And what aged poorly on top of that, I would say is just the fact that there's like, no female characters in the movie with with any real weight to them and and this was also at a time where Gugush was starring in tons of movies or you have uh like even in Gavazna which we already reviewed the main female lead in that film also has uh she's she's a much stronger character than uh any of the women that we see in this film yeah uh the one that hasn't aged very well i mean again a product of the time which is the women are not very strongly shown here and there's not a lot of strong women characters it's some of it is related to the story that they're trying to tell at the time religious figures really back in the days women weren't as prominent right so back in a very Mm -hmm. religious village but also the the religious rituals that it shows it's a personal taste for me that i didn't really love um Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's not much I didn't like about this movie. Uh, even the slow motions that are bad. I feel I feel like because of used to being those being from that time, and they all look like that, so it didn't really bother me. But yeah, from now when you look at it, like oh, that's that's choppy, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that would be mine. All right, great. Uh, double feature lineup. Um, for me, I would actually pair this with a movie like Elephant Man. Not just because there's an animal in the title of both films, but... That's a very good suggestion. Because of the title or because of the contents of no, the film? Because, no, because I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that and I like it a lot. Oh, great. Yeah, it's and I think it's largely because you have these two characters who are treated poorly or in some cases they're treated with pity and love, but, but both characters go through so much pain and anguish as these uh, these vulnerable people in a society that is critical of people's usefulness or uselessness, however they perceive it. And it goes back to uh, the thesis of the film for me is that this whole movie is about dignity and how you treat people, whether that is the village idiot or you treat the poor people in the village next door that you go and steal from, whether it's about uh, this man who you don't want him to be sad over the loss of his cow, or he be, he starts to think he's becoming a cow, 
or in the case of the elephant man, this man who is suffering from this uh, physical condition that makes him look deformed in the eyes of those in the community. That's a very good take. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, very double feature. I, I like that a lot. I I thought that we should pick Mercury's film, so I haven't thought about a uh, double feature from a non-Iranian film or anything else. I would line it up with his own work, Hamoon, after, after this. It would be too mm-hmm. an intense night of watching movies if you're watching double features. <laughs> They're two very heavy movies. But uh, yeah. the philosophical aspect of them and the difference between the time that it shows, it's, I think it shows the, the interest of the director very well and shows the grasp that he has at what he's doing and goes back to his, I guess, philosophical philosophy degree and what he thinks of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I were to change it up a little bit and if double feature with something lighter, I would use uh, Mehmoon Maman, which is Mama's mother, Mama's guests, which he's something he made way later on in his career his comedy is great uh cultural uh, influence people are still kind of coded here and there and and uh, it shows basically kind of poverty after revolution and poverty here but the beauty that exists within that poverty within the iranian culture that's a very good one i would go i have two i would pair the cow up with either 400 blows because we could just do a double feature night of new wave film new wave cinema with the let's see how the French do the new wave and then pair it up with an Iranian new wave film or to take it in an entirely different tone, pair it up with uh, a marriage, marriage, double lineup. You could do a cow first, which is a heavier film, but then you pair it up with one of his comedies, specifically the tenants, which also stars is that And you could just have a double feature marriage night, two different tones to mix up the evening. Perfect. Solid. Can this be a modern Hollywood remake? Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Like, to me, it's it's a fairly self-contained film. The film itself is already a period piece. So, yeah, I don't see why you can't do this as a modern Hollywood film. I will also say yes, and not knowing Meritash's answer, there's a difference about whether or not it can be done or should be done. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I say it, I say it can be done. And if I was a Hollywood producer, one of my takes would be, like, let's see Roger Eggers who directed The Witch, mm-hmm. and he's done a few other films. It's like, he did The Lighthouse. It's pronounced too. Witch. The Witch? Witch? <laughs> sure. How is, like, his take on horror specifically, too, and this whole thing, Metamorphosis and Kafka-esque kind of storytelling, I think the tale of madness around The Lighthouse makes his filmography, I'd very much like to see him take on this adaptation, an American Hollywood adaptation of The Cow. You really kind of see that. Or even David Lynch, as I'm thinking about Lynch. I, I was like, going like, to say Lynch as well. That'd be or very Cronenberg, cool. So, or Cronenberg. Or Cronenberg. Yeah. So yeah, those. I feel like it could be done. And there could be some interesting takeaways. I don't think it, it'd still be cinematic blasphemy. And it would <laughs> probably be the lesser. It'd be the lesser version of the two. But yes, it can be done. I agree. Uh, I would say yes, of course. It wouldn't, not that it should be done. I don't think it should never be done. But if it was ever going to be a new modern version of it. Yeah, a different take or different genre of it. Or I would focus on a different character in it to be honest with you because all the Jamshid Mashaikhi or Ali Nasirian character they all have their own things to say if they wanted to do that I think I would be happy but I like what Kava said of like a whole different genre of this would be very fascinating to watch like Kornomberg as as Farhan said is like it's it's really fun I I would like to watch that but uh, if Cronenberg, if you're listening to this, if you decide to 
to adapt this, please have actual Iranians involved in the creative process of your film. Yeah. Final thoughts and grades. Farin, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I think um, I don't have too much more to add beyond what I've already said. I will say that overall, this was not the movie that I was expecting. It was, it technically speaking, held up a lot better than I thought it would. It is incredibly beautiful. And I think the the fact that we each drew very different, deeper analysis from this film uh, says a lot about the value of this film in Iranian cinema. And I think that it's a movie that a lot of us should be watching and having conversations about. And I think also don't be afraid to go outside of your comfort zone when you're drawing uh, symbolism from the film, because like we just found in our discussion, we're all learning totally different viewpoints about the film. And I think Mm -hmm. that each one of them is valid. And I think each one of them will make our next viewing of the film even, uh, even more impactful to us. So that being said, uh I am going to give this film a B, which isn't the lowest that I've given a film and it's not the highest in our in our um in our series so far. It's probably somewhere roughly in the middle. Um but I I do think that it's it's a beautiful film and it's definitely a movie that everybody should be watching. So yeah, B a B grade for me, a solid B. Mertosh. Final thoughts and grades. Final thought of a move I think it's a brilliant movie. I think it's it's there is a reason why Iranian critics call it prop like the best Iranian movie in in Iranian cinema. I don't necessarily fully agree on that. I would say it's definitely there, top three, top five. The cultural influence, the technical abilities, the understanding of a story and cinema and the language and the delivery execute everything is is really amazingly put and the directorial choices that he makes is very conscious is very intentional mm-hmm. um the use of dollies and and uh movements and blocking is is quite phenomenal and it's 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 a what a very i think it's a movie that was way ahead of its time or at least in line with a lot of masterful movies that were being made at a time in europe or in mostly in europe not in hollywood really but i would rate this okay if a plus would be my highest score i'm gonna give it from a hundred like a Rotten Tomato score. I would give this a 98. 98, we call that an A plus on our scale. Yeah, this is relevant to the, I would say because it's the time, uh, like I call Bicycle Thief probably my, my favorite film of all time. And the, mm. the things that are they're doing and everything, if you if you show that film to, to someone like right now coming out of film school, be like, oh, is this the first film you've ever watched? They probably wouldn't say yes, right? But I watched it at a good time and I and I'm very anal about my you know the the techniques and cinema and like the, the, what the, the beginners of the art did and that is now common and people don't even realize it. I do think that this film did that for Iranian cinema and I think for that it's it's we I have to give it credit and kind of consider it for what it did and and it, mm. the fact that it holds up to this point and we still watch it and there's a podcast about it right now and we talk about it, <laughs> that just means 
that you know how important the movie was and how good it was. I'm sort of right in the middle of both of you guys. I give it an A minus because I think the tech film is technically a masterpiece. The cinematography, every frame is a portrait. Um, and I really like sort of like the, it's almost like a deceptively simple story, but I think there's a lot of layer complexity and there's a lot of allegory and it's perfect. I mean, it's to me, it's a very, very good film. It's far from per- perfect, not far from perfect. It's not perfect in my opinion, but it's very, very good. So that's why I give it the A minus. It's more of a poetic film than it is a narrative film. I think it's more about agree, yeah. the poetry of the scenes rather than an arcing story about completing a journey, you know, which is fine. It's just, it's to taste. It's not that it's bad. It's just to me, it was like, it's not my favorite. No, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think, yeah, it is, a, it is, it is definitely, uh, it's poetic. Like it's, it's not, again, if you show it to people who don't appreciate at all poet, poetic cinema, like they would hate it. So mm-hmm. the fact that, yeah, we, yeah I agree. That means that our show average score for the Cal is an A minus. Yes. Yeah. To me, it's a film about loss of identity and loss of self and loss of purpose. And when I look at the generations that fled Iran after the revolution, I can't help but be stuck with the feeling that this film was somewhat foreseeing the future of a lot of troubled dichotomies and parallels that the Iranian identity contains within itself. Merjui's life came at a tragic end, one that at the time of this recording we were still processing, but the fact that he'd called out all those who stood in his way, from critics to censors to the government, shows that this man and the legend never for a moment took his foot off the pedal of the passion, and he let the world know exactly how he felt. Mr. Merjui, hats off to you. Iranian cinema and art as a whole owes a great and eternal debt to you. May you and your wife, Vahida Mohamedifa, rest in peace. Thank you, Mehtash, for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This was a this was a pleasure and pure joy. As always, thank you, Farhan. Thank you, Kaveh. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Be'omid Didar. Be'omid Didar. Music for Cinema Rex was written and performed by Sohail Set in the Jodh.